Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. Today we hear the music of The Rare Breed, made in 1966. Now here's your host, Jeff Cummings. Hello, and it's great to have you back for another episode. Before we talk about The Rare Breed, I want to bring up a comment that a listener made to me recently. It comes from Alex Hoffman, who wrote to me after listening to the Gidget Goes to Rome episode. He writes, quote, The Gidget Goes to Rome score reminds me a lot of a trend started by High Noon, where films would have a title song and then the underscore would just state different variations on that theme throughout. I believe a few years after High Noon came out, most Western movies used that same technique, and I didn't realize it caught on outside of Westerns. And I certainly didn't realize John Williams would have to use the technique in one of his films. End quote. So if you haven't listened to the Gidget Goes to Rome episode, what Alex is talking about is that there's a main theme song called Jajetta, and Williams has kind of the responsibility of interjecting the theme from that song throughout his underscore, and it's pretty much in every scene. So in terms of the trend, Alex is pretty much right. High Noon did feature a very popular song whose theme, written by Dmitry Tiomkin, was peppered throughout the score. Do not forsake me, oh my darling On this our wedding day Do not forsake me, oh my darling Wait, wait long I do not know what fate awaits me Tiomkin won an Oscar for writing the song High Noon and for writing the score, which naturally got composers inspired to do the same thing in hopes of Oscar glory. Two years after High Noon, Tiomkin won an Oscar for the score to The High and the Mighty, using bits and pieces from the title song throughout the underscore. Henry Mancini was the next person to get double Oscar glory for a song and score with Breakfast at Tiffany's in 1961, two years before Williams had to adapt song themes in Gidget Goes to Rome and Diamond Head, most likely because it was a popular thing to do. Naturally, it's the easy way out to take a theme from a song and use it in the score, or to even do it the other way around, but it works very well. So thanks, Alex, for pointing this out, and we're obviously going to hear more of Williams using this throughout his career. All right, so let's get started with our analysis of the rare breed. And this one marks another milestone for John Williams in a time when he's accomplishing a lot of firsts in his career. The Rare Breed was his first Western movie, though not his last. Most of you who might call yourselves peripheral John Williams fans, meaning you only know about the real popular music he created, are probably surprised to know that John Williams dabbled in writing music for Westerns. But look, the Western was a very popular genre in the 1960s and 1970s, and John Williams was not shying away from the challenge of working in different film genres. In fact, in his 60-year career, John Williams has written music for every type of film except animated films. 
and he has never written his own original musical for the movies, though there was an attempt in the 1990s, and stay tuned for more on that. The Rare Breed was the first of five films featuring a John Williams score that was released in 1966, and all of these movies were released right after filming. This wasn't a case of a couple of films sitting in a vault for years and then getting a release in 1966. So, John Williams was very busy for about a year, constantly writing music for movies, all the while making a conscious move to shift from writing for TV as his multi-year contract with Review Studios was coming to an end. Having to write music for five feature films in one year will definitely signal one's desire to be known as a film composer. And this won't be his most prolific year, actually. In 1973, John Williams had his name in the credits of six films that year. Andrew McLaughlin directed The Rare Breed, his third Western in a row, and his second with James Stewart. And, spoiler alert, the film is based on a real person and follows an English widow and her daughter as they try to introduce a brand of cattle into the United States. Maureen O'Hara plays the English woman named Martha. Jimmy Stewart is a wrangler named Sam who agrees to help take one of their bulls from an auction in Missouri to a ranch in Texas. There's a little bit of deception on the part of Sam, but he sees the error of his ways after they are almost killed in a stampede and even starts to fall in love with Martha and fights for her affections with the ranch owner, a former Scottish soldier named Alexander. The bull that has everyone's attention is named Vindicator, and his one goal is to breed with the longhorn cows on the ranch and produce mixed-breed cows. Once a cruel winter hits the ranch, everyone wonders if Vindicator has survived a blizzard on the open range and managed to impregnate a cow. Well, this is a Hollywood movie, so we know there's a happy ending, but not extremely happy. And I'll talk about that a bit later. The one unfortunate thing about this film is that it does not give John Williams the opportunity to write opening credits music that establishes the main musical theme of the film. Instead, he has to write a parade march for an on-screen band that's playing at the annual cattle auction in St. Louis. It's not that bad, though, as you will hear.
This was John Williams' 11th film, and only the third in which he didn't write original music for the opening credits or adapt existing music. The other two before this were Gidget Goes to Rome and The Killers. Because of this, it's difficult to discern if there are going to be any thematic material composed for the film. But as we explore the music, perhaps we will discover thematic material woven throughout. The first instance of underscore for John Williams comes five minutes into the film when a fight breaks out when a man insults Martha. Sam is there to land a punch, and that's the cue for the orchestra to go to work. Don't you worry about that bull. I'll see that you get a good price. It's interesting that John Williams is keeping the music fairly low-key in that scene. There are no real big sound effects to get in the way, and he could have really used this to let the music take front and center. It's also interesting that Williams didn't have any stinger moments to cue up with the various punches being laid throughout the scene. With the exception of the punch that started it all, the orchestral hits you hear don't really land at the same time as a punch. And when Sam tries to hop onto Vindicator to stop him from running away, Williams misses an opportunity to sync up the music to put in a nice comedy moment. I'm thinking of something similar to what he did at the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when young Indy is going to jump on a horse, but the horse moves out of the way. The music there is funny, but not too much so. Once the journey to Texas from Dodge City begins, John Williams gets to write a bit of lush music to accompany the on-screen views of green hills of the Kansas Plains. But before that, there's a bit of frenzied music as Martha takes off on her horse. Pay attention to this music as it will turn out to be the main musical theme of the film. One thing, ma'am, if you're dead set in making this trip to Texas, you're going the wrong way. Oh, thank you, Mr. Burnett. You are a very capable guide. Well, I can tell north from south. Now, if you'll just... Uh...
On the first night, Sam, Martha, and her daughter Hillary set up camp. They find out they are being followed by cattle wranglers who want Vindicator after being outbidden at the auction. The wranglers let their presence known by shooting the top off a coffee pot. After Sam tells the women to go into their tents, he makes sure the bull is tied up and safe. During this scene, and while we hear the wranglers arguing over the validity of scaring the travelers, John Williams uses punctuated brass. I love this because it's keeping the scene relatively quiet while highlighting the danger lurking in the shadows. that shot. Oh, just reminding Burnett to show up at Sand Creek. Al, I told you once and I'm telling you again. I'll handle this. Mabry, out here you ain't telling me nothing. The next day, Sam and the women continue on their journey and decide to cut through some wire to access a shortcut through a canyon. As they get on their way, we hear that theme from earlier slowed down and played more beautifully on strings. Simons is one of the wranglers who snuck up on the campsite the night before. After he kills his supposed partner, Simons decides to follow Sam into the canyon. He notices a herd of cattle being led through the canyon as well and plans to scare the cattle and create a stampede that will certainly kill everyone and allow Simons to take Vindicator without a fight. If you remember some of the sneaking around music with trombones and trumpets from None But The Brave a couple of episodes ago, this will sound like a variation of that.
brass section really went to work during the stampede as those were really the only instruments you were going to be able to hear over the sounds of cattle running. Fortunately, no one dies in the ambush, but two men are hurt, and the wagon Martha and Hillary were on topples over. Simons tries to fight Sam, but Martha grabs a rifle and stops the fight. Simons tries to escape with Sam in pursuit. Simons and Sam play chicken on their horses, and when both are thrown off, Simons is killed when his head hits a rock. No, no, please let him go! I don't want any killing! Sam, Martha, Hillary, and Vindicator make it to the ranch in Texas with the ranch owner's son in tow. It's not really important why the ranch owner's son tried to steal his father's cattle, but it's going to kick off a secondary love story that didn't interest me as much as who would win Martha's heart. The men go off to find some cows for Vindicator to breed, and when they come back a few days later, they find the ranch has been cleaned by Martha. I found it odd to hear brass for a scene that had a feminine storyline running through it. But take a listen and let me know if, if it feels weird to you thinking about men riding on horseback through a pristine ranch courtyard. So it's time for Vindicator to roam the open range for some unsuspecting cow to crossbreed. Hillary, who has raised Vindicator since he was a calf, has a hard time letting him go. As far as the scene goes musically, it's not John Williams' finest moment. I was waiting for him to do what composers do best, get that tear that's welling up in my eye to roll down my cheek. But the music here just didn't do that for me. Vindicator. And don't you come back. Do you hear me? Go along.
Go on. If there's a love theme for the film, it happens when Hillary professes her love for Jamie, the ranch owner's son. Hillary wants to stay in Texas, which I suppose means her mother has to stay as well. As Martha sees Hillary embraced by Jamie, Martha decides to make the choice to move on as the first snow of winter begins to fall. Sam is concerned that the blizzard is too much for Vindicator to handle and goes out into the storm looking for him. He finds nothing but vows to keep looking at first thaw and build a ranch of his own with the crossbred calves that are sure to be born. After the first thaw following the blizzard, we see Sam on the range still holding out hope that he will find Vindicator alive and ready to breed. Williams brings back the main theme, but only briefly. Sam's horse is spooked by something in a nearby snowdrift. It's the corpse of Vindicator, and the discovery brings out the cellos and mysterious flutes. So this only highlights more why I wish there had been a theme for Vindicator running throughout the film. Without him, the plot would not have happened, and when we see a portion of his body under the snowdrift, this would have been the perfect moment to eulogize him through music. Without any thematic material as an anchor, Williams just lowers the tone of the music. 
Sam is still optimistic that Vindicator impregnated a cow before he died. He roams the countryside looking for calves that bear Vindicator's unique markings. And he manages to find one on a hillside. The main theme is played while Sam rides through the countryside, then low strings as we hear that calf cry out off screen. Sam goes to take a look at the calf's markings, and our main theme returns on the clarinet while the strings churn out a hopeful ostinato underneath. And then, an oboe tells us that, yes, the calf is the offspring of Vindicator. Once Sam picks up the calf to take to the ranch, Williams finally unleashes the theme in a major chord to signal triumph at last. This was a great composing moment for John Williams. The main theme he had been giving us off and on through the film is prominent here, and the way he builds up the music to the reveal of the calf is so much fun. And since it's the last scene giving musical treatment in the film, it ties a nice bow over the entire work. There isn't a lot of music in The Rare Breed, especially since the film is barely 90 minutes long. That might be why there was never an official album release of the score but it wouldn't be long before that mindset changed. So as I said, The Rare Breed was the first of five films with John Williams' music released in 1966. And you would think he would have had a busy time enough handling the responsibilities of scoring those films. But amazingly, he had the time to put pen to paper and hammer out his first, and to date, only symphony. The circumstances surrounding the creation, performance, and legacy of Symphony No. 1 are very unclear, and even 50 years later, it has only received two public performances. Williams completed his symphony in 1966, but it was not performed until 1968 by the Houston Symphony under the direction of his friend Andre Previn. The piece was performed by the illustrious London Symphony Orchestra in 1972, again with Previn conducting. There's a story going around the internet that composer Bernard Herrmann, who was one of John Williams' closest friends, attended the Houston premiere and called Williams the next day to offer some sharp criticism. Perhaps that's why Williams only let it be performed once more. 
I haven't been able to, to find any official reviews of the symphony, but again, the internet says it was critically panned when it was premiered in Houston. When it was performed in Houston, John Williams, of course, was not the big superstar he is now, and he definitely was not a concert composer by trade. We have to praise him, though, for expanding his horizons and trying to compose a symphony, but it is indeed sad that he pretty much has disowned it over the years. In fact, the symphony was planned to be performed in Houston in 1986 after Williams did some tinkering with it, but it was removed from the program at the last minute. Now, perhaps Williams didn't like the changes during rehearsal with the Houston Orchestra. And in 1986, he was a superstar, so it's likely he did not want to tarnish his reputation with a musical flop. The Rare Breed couldn't be called a flop musically, though John Williams missed out on a couple of great opportunities to put in some good themes. But his next film would get his creative juices flowing, and he would call it the beginning of a new chapter in his professional career. I'm looking forward to talking about that in the next episode of The Baton, including what made Williams think it would be a turnaround for his career. And as always, if you want to contribute to the conversation, as Alex Hoffman did, I urge you to please do so. You could send me an email at jeffswim at aol.com, or just send me a message on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for joining me, and until next time, The Baton is down. The Baton is down.